Hey, on the front of your message notes, uh, there's a reminder about Financial Peace University. We wanted to give you a long lead ramp into this event because so many members in our church family have been benefited from financial peace. We're offering it again this year. And we want to give you a long ramp towards the event so that you could fully prepare. So it's not until this fall, but uh, there are story after story after story of people in our church whose lives have been changed by Financial Peace University. And our mission as a church is to help families in North Cincinnati have their best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. And I know this, that when you're fighting at home about money, when you're stressed about money, you're probably not asking, God, what do you want to do with my life? You're probably not free to follow fully what he would like for you to do. And so we want to help you get free. And financial peace is our way to do that. Well, Pastor Melissa told you today we're finishing up our message series on listening to God. And uh, next Sunday, you have an amazing treat. Um, Pastor Will, who is our worship pastor, will be bringing the Sunday morning message. I'd like for you all to come and, uh, and pay attention to what he has to say. God has been at work in this young man's life. He's been on our staff for eight years. And uh, God has been at work in him. And I think you're really going to enjoy it as he kicks off a brand new message series next week called Fresh. And then I'll be back with you uh, the week after that. So would you turn in your Bible to Judges chapter 6? Judges chapter 6. I want to talk with you today about... The idea that God is calling you. And can you hear him? Can you hear that God is calling you? And I'm talking to every single person in the room today. A lot of times when I talk, I make it clear that a message is particularly for a person who's trying to grow in their faith of Jesus. And sometimes when I talk, I'll say, this is particularly geared towards those people who are investigating faith. And maybe you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus where you've trusted his work on the cross and in his resurrection to cover your sin and secure your relationship to your heavenly father. But today, what we're talking about applies to every single person. Whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or you're not yet following him at all, maybe you think you never will. I want to let you know that God is calling you. God is calling you. And we're going to look at a young man's experience. His name is Gideon in the book of Judges. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And we're going to just look briefly at his experience. And then I want to show you five calls that comes to every Christian. Five calls that comes to every Christian. Now, before we jump into Judges chapter 6, about verse 11 on your phone, on your Bible, on the side screens, or in the message notes. Before we jump into that, let me give you a little background about Gideon. The book of Judges in your Bible is a wonderful uh, group of stories to read about the early history of Israel before they had a king. They had a group of people who were called judges who ruled with a certain amount of authority in a region. Maybe not over the whole nation and not for very long, but for maybe 20 to 40 years at a time, these local leaders would rise up and they had broad-ranging authority to speak into the matters of life and specifically to speak into military issues. At this time, Israel had not unified under a king and there was a lot of challenges in that little region that was situated between Egypt and Assyria major highway. If you went through Israel, you could avoid the desert on one side and the Mediterranean Sea on the other. On the other. And so there was just a lot of people movement happening in that little section of real estate. And because of that, if you were a local in that area, you were beholden to whatever forces came to bear at whatever time was going on. And during the time of the judges, there was a 
rapid succession, really, almost every generation, it seems, of either coming into power for the local Israelites or losing power. And in Gideon's experience, they were losing power. They were losing autonomy and authority. And in fact, our story begins with Gideon sitting in a wine press, sitting in a wine press, and he's threshing wheat. Now, they threshed wheat by throwing it into the air, and the wind would catch the dry portions of the plant and drive it away, and the heavier portions, the wheat itself, would fall back to the earth. And he's in a wine press doing that because he's scared. Ordinarily, you would do that out in the open where the wind could blow strong, but he's afraid. He doesn't want to be seen by the outside enemies' armies, by their spies by the people who are on lookout for the enemy. So he's hiding in a little wine press, a little depressed portion in the ground where he could slowly and in small batches sift his wheat and not be seen. It's not a pretty picture of life. He's just managing, trying to stay out of everybody's way. He's got his own challenges. There are challenges around him and he just wants to survive. And then Judges chapter 6 Verse 11, here's what our Bible says. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. That was the group of people who were pressing in on little Israel. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I've already told you Gideon is afraid and he's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat to just get enough to survive. And when the angel of God comes to him and gives him a call, he says to him, the Lord is with you, which interestingly enough is one of the most oft-repeated phrases in the Bible from God to humanity. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. In fact, when Jesus was on the face of the earth and he was getting ready to go back to heaven, every gospel in the book of Acts records his final words. And among his last words spoken before he leaves earth and goes back to heaven, he says, I'll be with you even to the very end of time. I'm not going to leave you alone. So on the first part of the statement of the angel of the Lord to Gideon, it's in complete sync with all we know about God. He's with us. I am with you. But it's the second one that gives us a little bit of pause. I'm with you, mighty warrior. Now, this is not Gideon's experience. And God's about to take Gideon on a journey of discovery where God calls to Gideon. And Gideon's going to have to figure out what he's going to do with that call. Now, the story of Gideon is fascinating. You can pick it up in your Bible this week in Judges chapter 6 and read on. It's a handful of chapters long. It's a fascinating story of leadership and intrigue and battle and the power of God and a reluctant group of people. It's a powerful story. You might find a lot useful in your journey of faith in the story of Gideon. But today, I want us to look at just this front portion. In fact, in your message notes on the blank next to the first line there that says Gideon with a colon, would you write the phrase, who, me? God calls Gideon and Gideon's first response is, who, me? You're going to discover that here as we continue. Judges chapter 6, verse 13. Pardon me, Lord. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? 
But now the Lord has abandoned us and given, to, given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So the angel of the Lord shows up and says, God's with you. And uh, I, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon says, well, if he's with us, why is all this bad stuff happening? I've heard about all this stuff in the past, all this great stuff God has done. I've heard about how God showed up for our forefathers under the time of Moses and, and, and other people. But where is he now? And in this journey of discovery, you're going to see God's going to teach Gideon that not only would God be with him, and not only could God do something powerful with his, with his life, but the stories that he had heard as a child, the stories that were a part of the culture in which he lived, the stories that were the foundation of his faith, they were old stories, but God was going to show Gideon in his day that the God of those stories was still very active today. I just wanted to pause right here and say to you, I know many of you have been in church for a while. And you may, in fact, have been in church all your life and even as a kid. And maybe you've heard stories of how God has showed up in other people's lives and in other times and in other places. But this story is a reminder to us that when we respond to the call of God in our life, it opens up a door. And God's active presence, who is always there, but God's active presence in our life, when we open the door and respond to God's call in our life, makes those stories of old take on fresh meaning in the present. And more than just the stories of old, the God who is active in the olden times becomes more visibly active in our time. What I'm trying to say to you very clearly is, is that if you'll respond to the call of God on your life, at this stage where you are right now, and if you'll pursue all that he's calling towards, you will see the same God that has been at work in other times and other places. You will see that God at work in your own life. And today, what I want you to do is understand that God's calling you. And I want you to park yourself in that place long enough to ask this simple question. At this point in my life, what is God calling me to? Where I am today, what is God calling me to? He was calling Gideon out of a wine press where he was afraid and barely surviving and asking him to go in the strength that he has and save Israel out of Midian's hand. It was a huge task. Gideon did not feel up to the task. The situation around him seemed bigger than him. And God said it might be, but I'm calling you to go in the strength you have and I'm calling you to do the work I'm calling you to do in your day. I want you to get out of the memories and I want you to live in the present. The first time we started talking about Gideon here with that first blank, I had you write the phrase, who me? I'd like you to write the phrase now under the, the word Gideon there, the phrase, who you? The first thing Gideon said to God was, me, really? Me? And the second thing Gideon said to God is, really, you're doing this? Well, where have you been? In fact, we're going to go through just a couple more, but you're going to see at the early stages of Gideon's call, there wasn't an open receptivity. He had a lot of questions. There was just a lot of internal stuff in him, resistant to the call that was in front of him. And this is one of the reasons why I love this story. It, it, it lines up with so many stories in the Bible where God looked at ordinary men and women and said, I want to use your life. 
I want to use your life. And their first response was not, yay, let's get at it. Their first response was some type of resistance. Gideon's is like, well, where have you been? Really? Really, where have you been? When God called Amos, Amos said it this way. He said, I hear you calling me to be a prophet, but I'm not a prophet. In fact, I'm not even a son of a prophet. He's like, I don't have pedigree. He called Moses to lead his people. And Moses is like, wait, wait. He's like, I, I can't even talk right. He called Isaiah and Isaiah said, I, I don't even live right. In fact, if you hear the way I talk, I'm a man. Here's how he said it. I'm a man of unclean lips. He called Jeremiah and Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Almost all the major heroes of our Bible had some type of reason why they couldn't step forward into the call that God was calling them to. Those are the stories in the Bible. And our Bible tells us that these stories are there to teach us, to correct us, to give us training and right living. So let me ask you, at this season in your life right now where God has a call on your life, because he does, I don't know what it is. Maybe you don't yet. But because he has a call in your life, what would be your go-to excuses? How are you wired so that when God begins to speak, pull, nudge, how are you wired so that you rebuff the call? I mean, maybe it's kind of like some of the folks in the Bible, Amos, who says no pedigree, Moses, who says I don't have skill, Jeremiah, who says I'm too young, Hosea says I've got a messed up family. Maybe, I don't know what yours is, but maybe you can relate to one of these characters in the Bible. Gideon is just afraid. He's like, it's big. I don't know what to do. Now, I don't know specifically the call on your life. We're going to give you a few of those in a moment that every follower of Jesus is called to. But it could be at this phase in your life, you're just called to be a great husband. And I say just because that's kind of the way the culture talks about it, just. But do you understand that if you'll step forward in the call that God has on your life, if you're married and you're a man, if you'll step forward into that role, first of all, you'll be running upstream. You'll be pressing against the culture. You will be distinguishing yourself among your peers just to follow that call on your life. And how about a loving wife? As opposed to what our culture says, just be selfish and get yours. I mean, what if you gave yourself fully to the call of a godly, functioning, ministry-minded family? And what if your call is a student and you said, I'm going to give myself to these studies because God's going to use it to catapult me into the thing he wants me to do in this world? What, what if your call is to lead a company? And you said, I'm going to lead with integrity and I'm going to build people up. And while I may not in this environment be able to be explicit about Jesus, I'm going to in every way I can demonstrate the values of Christ and treat people the way Jesus would treat them. What if you put that part of your call in forward gear? What if God's calling you to reach down and help somebody and provide mercy and grace in a situation that's taxing and emotionally draining? But you said, God, that's where you're calling me, and I'm going to step in there. You will never regret making forward motion on a call of God on your life. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. 
Let me tell you what you will regret. You'll regret the calls unvetted. You'll regret the steps not taken. The reason we resist the call isn't because we don't feel compelled to do it. It's for whatever excuse you have, like maybe some of the characters in the Bible. And it's ultimately because the enemy of your soul knows that if you'll step into the call of God on your life, the identity to which he calls you, that place of prominence and purpose and meaning and satisfaction, that that thing will give you a joy. Stepping into the call of your life will give you a joy that this world can't fully grasp. And that joy will become strength to you. And the enemy of your soul doesn't want you walking in joy or strength. So every possible excuse can come into your mind. And every reason to delay and every excuse made. And for Gideon, it was nothing more than, all right, I hear you talking to me. But it's been a long time. Who are you really and where have you been? Then in Judges chapter 6, verse 15, again he says, pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? Look at this. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. So I'm like the smallest or the youngest in my family, and my family is the smallest in our community. So he starts with who me, he says who you, and the next time he says who me again. This is like a cycle. Really? You want me? I'm nobody. How can I do anything great? And then in verse 16, the Lord answers. He says again, I'll be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. After saying, who me, and then who you, and then who me again, God answers and says, no, no, it's me. So he says, no, it's me. I'm calling you not about you, it's about me, because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. And when I'm with you, you can do great things. I think that at the core of a lot of our hesitations to fully step into our call, maybe even the resistance to make room to think about the call on your life at this stage right now, might be really our image of God isn't formed enough. It might be that we're relying on the past and stories that we've heard and the work that God done, had done in some other season. It might be that we just don't understand how powerful God is and we think maybe he can be powerful for others, but he can't be powerful for us. And Gideon was going to learn here that if God was with him, there was nothing that he could not accomplish as he followed the call of God on his life. And I want to make that clear to you too. If God is with you and he's promised he would be, there's nothing you cannot do as you pursue that call that God puts in front of you. You can do it because it won't be done only in your strength. It will be do what you can, but God will be with you. So in Judges chapter 6, verse 17, Gideon replies, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait until your return. At the end of this portion of the conversation, here's what Gideon says. Are you sure you really want me? Are you sure you really want me? If you really want me, can you prove it to me? Now, nowhere in this story does Gideon get corrected for asking God to wait and to prove it to him. And I wanted to encourage you with that today to say this, that if you need a little bit of room 
a little bit of, of, of time to figure out the call and to kind of align your heart with what God's doing. God has grace for that. There's room for that. Gideon's not scolded for that. In fact, three different times, he's going to ask God, one more time, God, are, are, are you sure? Are you sure me? Are you sure now? Are you sure that? But all of that questioning is going to come to an end, and there's going to be a moment where Gideon is going to step out. The problem isn't the questions that you have. The problem is, are you attending to the questions? Are you dealing with those hesitations, or are you simply surfacing them so that you can disengage? It's okay if you have wonders and, you know, concerns and fears about where God's calling you. It's all right. But those things aren't meant to help us disconnect from the call. They're meant to help us push in. Now, I just want to ask you to pray a bold prayer. No matter what season you're in, God, what are you calling me to? And then secondly, God, would you show me a bigger picture of you that is bigger than any of my excuses? Would you show me a bigger picture of you than is bigger than any of my excuses? Because that's exactly what happened to Gideon. Now, you're going to have to go to Judges to read the rest of his story and how God used him. And in fact, God did use him in a powerful way to lead a very small group of people to overcome a much larger army. And God proved that once again, that these stories of old, that that God is still active today. I want to share with you for the next few minutes, not the end of the story of Gideon. I want to share with you five calls that are on your life. And if you're a Christian, they're definitively, definitively on your life. If you're not yet following Jesus in the room, if you decide one day you will, these are the things that God is going to call you to. And I want us to just pause here long enough to explore them. My hope is, is that while I'm talking about them, the Holy Spirit will stir something up in you. These are five common calls to every follower of Jesus. And when you follow them, you get a bigger picture of God. When you follow them, your joy increases. It's not that it's easy. I didn't say it necessarily makes you happy. I said you get joy. And when you follow these calls, the strength of your faith, your, the, your, your awareness of your connection to God, it grows. Joy and strength increases. So here's the first call then. And I believe the Bible is clear that every person is called to salvation, that the, that the blood of Jesus Christ is effective to all who will call upon him. You're called to salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. God's sending of his son Jesus into the world was to pave a way that human beings could have a right relationship with God. And you have a call on your life to be in a right relationship with him. And that relationship is meant to be all-encompassing. And that's why God talks about the relationship that he has with his children, much like a marriage. He says that the church is the bride of Christ. And human beings, men and women, become multiple metaphors. The bride of Christ being one of the ones that gets the most emphasis in the Bible. And much like a, 
A marriage is all-encompassing. That relationship impacts every dynamic in your life. Once you begin to come together as a husband and wife and you live together and you share challenges and opportunities and finances, perhaps have kids, work through all the struggles of maintaining a house, your souls get knit together. You, in a healthy marriage, you don't really make a major move without considering the other. When there's change, you rely on one another. And when there's difficulty, you come together. In the same way, we're called to a deep, large, impacting relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not meant simply to be fire insurance for us so that when we die, we can make it to heaven. It's meant to be all of heaven and all of life here and now. You're called to salvation. You're called to a right relationship with Jesus. The Bible makes it clear there's only one way for that to happen, and that is for you and I to put our trust in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. There's no amount of good works that we can do. There's no amount of favor we can earn. It is literally the gift of God into our lives undeserved. And when the Bible talks about salvation and when you should respond to that call, every time it talks about it, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of right now. And I just want to say, if you happen to be in this room today and you thought it's an accident that you're here or somebody compelled you to come today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that the Bible is clear that the call to you is to respond. And God would like you to do that now. Like not wait. Of course, if, if you want to wait, we'll be here for you. You can come back and continue to explore and ask your questions, but that call is available to you right now. You're called to salvation. Number two, we're called to holiness. We're called to holiness. Now, this is a term that doesn't get a lot of press in churches today. The word holiness is not meant to be a, a barrier to our understanding. It's simply the word holy means not profane. And the idea is, is that normal life, ordinary stuff is profane. It's here, it's now, it's earthy, it's just where we live. But all the things connected to God are not profane, they're holy. They're outside of our normal life and the things of God are above this life. And God calls every person who responds to him in salvation to live a life Not that we earn our salvation, but we live a life that looks like the grace and the power of God has touched our lives. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's what the Bible tells us. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gave you his Holy Spirit. Now, this particular verse finds itself into a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in a city called Thessalonica. And he was explaining to them, the culture all around you, they do what they want to do. They expend their lust the way they want to expend their lust. They have the values that they want to have, but that's not the call on your life. Just like God is separated from the world, when you experience salvation with God, you're called to live not by the world's standards, but to separate yourself from it. You're called to live holy. 
And when I talk about that, here's, here's a couple things that goes on in the minds of some people. One is, is well, I'll never be holy. Now, let me just agree with you. You're not ever going to be holy fully. That's not the call. The call is not perfection. The call is not to align yourself in perfection with a perfect God. It's never going to happen. That's not the call. The call, though, is to step towards God's value and step towards him molding and shaping you into his image. When I was preparing this part of the message this week, I was thinking, God, would you, when I talk about this, would you speak to your children today? And would you help us to not buy the lie that says, because we can't be perfect, this doesn't apply to us? And would you help us to maybe ask a question we haven't asked in a long time? God, is there any part of my life you want to mold and shape? Is there any part of my attitude that you want me to adjust? Is there any part of my, how I engage my spouse, how I engage my kids, my coworkers, my friends, my fellow students? Is there any part of the way I do relationship, God, that you want me to adjust to make me more like the image of your son? See, when God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit at salvation and we become a part of the family of God, it doesn't stop there. It's the same Holy Spirit that if we'll let it, will whisper in our ears and say, God would like you to make a correction here. God, like, God would like you to step up here. God would like you to pull back here. God would like you to speak up here. God would like you to be quiet here. And God would like you to serve here. It's holy living. And there are a lot of people that will fill in the gaps for you of what that means. I'm asking you to put all that other conversation on hold for a minute and just think about it very simply. Is there any area of your life where God would like to grow you? I mean, if you're, if you're struggling with addiction, that's a good place to begin right there. For me, um, certain periods in my life, it was I, I needed to deal with a sharp tongue. I could just, I called it wit but it was just mean. It was just mean. Where is it that God needs to shape and mold and perhaps carve away? Now, if you're bold and you don't know the answer to this, let me tell you how to get an answer. Go to a trusted friend, go to your spouse and say, I promise I won't fight you. I promise this is not a trick, but I wanna live my life in holiness before God. Is there a place that you think I maybe could begin to pray about and think about? And then just shut up and literally don't attack them when they say, really, you're not very nice. Or really, you have a short temper. Or really, when you get on that kick, you're unrelenting. I mean, whatever it is, God calls us to holy living. All right, number three. We're all called to service in the body of Christ. Now, it's not like these are necessarily even progressive. In fact, the call to salvation is a call to service. He doesn't just call you to get out of hell free. He calls you to literally be a part of the body of Christ. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And if you continue to read the passage, he starts to talk about how that this grace of God in us compels us to serve one another. So he says, for instance, if God's given you leadership ability, then serve others by leading with diligence. And if God's given you the ability to, uh, to speak words of, of prophetic you know, importance, then to speak with urgency. And if God's given you the ability to serve other people, then to get about serving. You know, the call to salvation is also a call to serve in the body of Christ. So we are the bride of Christ and that relationship deeply impacts every part of our life. And we're the body of Christ so that we're connected one to another. Now our church is big enough so that I can say to you with a certain amount of honesty, in one sense, if you don't want to help out around here, we don't need you. It's true. We don't. We can kind of get by without you. But that's not the complete picture. If you're a part of the body of Christ and this is your home church, we desperately need you. We desperately need you. I don't even know necessarily in what ways we need you. All I know is that if this is your home church and this is where you're landing, then God expects as a part of your call to salvation for you to find a way to serve in the body of Christ. Now we'll serve the world as well, but the body of Christ first and foremost serves one another. And we come together and you do your thing and I do mine and God makes something quite beautiful out of it. And it's in the serving roles that God calls us to where we get our clearest picture of God. Did you pay attention to the passage we read? God, renew our mind. Renew our mind. Conform us to your perfect will, not to the patterns of this world. Would you prove to us, God? Would you test us and approve us and show us what your will is? When you begin to serve other folks, those dynamics, your mind shaped, the pulling away from the pattern of this world and God proving to you what his will is, those things take on more form. There are people in this church who started off serving by holding a door. Many people still do that. Some people are called to that thing and they have that gift of hospitality and they just do that really well and they make the welcome of God apparent to all of us. But some folks started there and when they took that first step where the, lung, the rung is kind of low on the ladder and they took that first step, when they took that step, God began to reveal other things to them. And those small steps of obedience now have led them, not just at holding a door, which is a valid expression of ministry, but it wasn't their call. Now they're leading whole teams. Yeah, something powerful happens when you serve brothers and sisters in Christ. God's will gets opened up to you. And I have a hunch that some of us in this room have no idea the full call of God on our lives. Let me tell you how you'll discover it most quickly. Start serving and then serve faithfully. Do it here. Serve others at your place of employment. Get a servant's heart, and it's in the serving activity that God's will becomes, I think, most clear to us. And sometimes you'll serve, and you'll say, that's clearly not my call. 
Other times you'll serve and you'll say, there's something about this that energizes me. There are times you'll serve and you'll say, this is very hard, but it's a good hard. And it's the kind of hard that compels me and pulls me forward. So we're called to salvation, holiness, and service. And number four, we're called to make disciples. Every follower of Jesus is called to make disciples. In fact, let me be clear with you. You're not called to simply be a disciple. The Great Commission doesn't come to us. Jesus doesn't come to us in the Great Commission and say, here's what I'm going to say to you before I leave earth. Be a disciple. That's not what he says. He comes to us and he says, make disciples. Now that implies that you're a disciple. But every single person in this room who's a follower of Jesus is called to make disciples. And you are no more powerful at that than I am. We can't do it without God. But all of us with God can make a dent in the commission that we have to make disciples. So Matthew 28. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that always true? Then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here it is again. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're called to salvation and holiness and service. And you and I are called to make disciples. And I'm going to give you the last one again. And you'll agree with me that two of the five of these don't get a lot of press perhaps today in a lot of places. But I want to give you the last one because it's true. And I love you enough to tell you. Every person in this room is called to judgment. And I didn't say we're called to judge one another. Although followers of Jesus are in fact called to do that. That's for a different conversation. But you're called to judgment. Every single person in this room, you and I, and every person that's ever taken a breath, one day will stand before God and he'll serve as judge. He will. Every word spoken, every deed done, it'll fall in one of two categories. Completely and totally on your shoulders or completely and totally, totally on the shoulders of Jesus. And on that day for people who are following Jesus, every word spoken, every deed done, every thought had, those that are with Jesus is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. God looks at our imperfections through the perfection of his son. But that judgment day is coming. In fact, here's how Hebrews chapter 9 says it. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. The very Jesus who came and gave his life on a cross and was resurrected from the tomb, that Jesus will come back. And on that day, the Bible says, every single person will be judged. The Old Testament prophets talked about it this way, the great and terrible day of the Lord. The New Testament writers who had a more complete picture of God's work would talk about it, would talk about the return of Jesus. I don't know when that is and what it's going to look like. The Bible's clear that it's going to happen. That's about all that it's clear on. The rest is very fuzzy. You have opinions about that perhaps. I have opinions. Mine are right. Yours are wrong. That's a different discussion. But it's going to happen. And it's not meant to produce fear. In fact, it's meant to make us say that this life matters. That what we do here can have a big impact. It's meant to spur us on to respond to the call that God has for us. I don't know when's the last time you thought about the call that God has on your life. But if it's been a while, start with these five. 
You're called to a relationship with Jesus called salvation. And you're called to live differently than this world. Your talk and your walk should look more like Jesus and less like the culture we live in. And we're called to serve the body of Christ, to have a servant mentality, not a please me mentality. And we're called to make disciples. This church takes that very seriously. And then we're all going to stand before God in judgment. It's a call on you. You won't be able to resist it. But God doesn't let us go through any of these alone. And every one of them, he says, I'll be with you. And you can grab on to that promise that he has for you, that he'll be with you, so that none of the calls on your life, any of these five or any of the specific ways that he's calling you right now, in none of them will you be alone. And some of you are facing incredibly uphill battles right now. I wanted to remind you today that you're not alone and that the grace of God is sufficient for you. God will do immeasurably more than you can ask or think. And you'll never be alone. And so if what you're facing is daunting and scary and bigger than you, I know you're just being called to join the ranks of men and women throughout the last several thousand years that God would tap on the shoulder and say, hey, come on, let's get about why I created you. And if you have doubts and fears and questions, then you'll join the ranks of almost every single follower of Jesus. You won't be alone, though. The same God who was with them, those stories that you've heard about around the world or in generations past, the same God that was with them will be with you. And I want to remind you one more time, there is nothing that God is calling you to that you will regret stepping forward in. Let me share with you a very brief story about a call on my life. I shared with a portion of this with you uh, in first service just a couple weeks ago. But when I was going through a real difficult season and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, and I was lost and felt like the denomination I had grown in, I, I didn't have a place there anymore and was feeling somewhat abandoned spiritually and certainly made it much worse in my mind than it was in reality, but I was consumed with what am I going to do. It was in that very season of life that I met a man after a service one day, and he shook my hand and introduced himself to me. I told him my name, and he said, Ben, I think God would like to use you to do ministry in Cincinnati, and I'd be willing to meet with you once a month and talk about it. And we began to sit down and have conversations about what it was to be called. I had been through all that stuff. I had served on church staff for a long time. I was just in a new phase. The second part of that story that I'll fill in more for you tonight if you come to the membership class. The second half of that story is, is one day I sat down with my pastor and said, um, Jill and I are going to stop working at the school where I was teaching high school. And we're going to give ourselves to the local church. We really believe in the local church. And I want to. I want to give my life to that. And so we were just talking about that, and I explained to him how I had an opportunity in Arizona at a good-sized church with a parsonage. That's a house that is owned by a church pastors get to live in. And, a, and they had a car, you know, a, a car allotment. And I had four kids, and it just seemed right, especially the, the financial situation just seemed right. And I hate to just admit that often that's where my mind goes. It, it did, especially in those days. And... So I was explaining all this to my pastor, and he said, Ben, you could do that. I believe you have a call in your life. You could do that. But I think it'd be really foolish for you to do that. 
I don't think you should do that. And then he looked at me and he said, I'll give you $60,000. You go wherever you want to go in the world and start a church. Well, that was an easy answer. No. So I looked at my friend Matt, who pastors in Loveland today, and said to him, Matt, I, I love you, man. I, wow. Mm, wow. No. Um, that's risky. One in five churches don't make it after five years. Only one in five makes it past five years. It's hard. And did I mention they have a parsonage? And I have four kids. And it's Arizona. <laughs> you know, come on, man. He's like, all right, just, would you just pray about it? And so I did. And for two days, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I, God was stirring something in me. So I called him and I said, I don't know whether to be grateful or angry at you. you you've really messed me up. And so we met. And I said to him, I think we're, we're going to do this. And he said, well, take, take a while. I took a month and chatted with close friends and family members and asked people, Look, do you, does this make sense? Does, does this seem right? Because this, this is bigger than me. It's bigger than me. One by one, they said, yeah, we, we think you could do this. And so I sat down with my pastor at the end of just a few days and said, all right, we're going to do it. And uh, we think we'd like to do it like in our neighborhood. We were attending church in Loveland. We live in Westchester. And 13 years ago, we held our first public service. But for a year and a half before then, so now 14 and a half years ago, we began to meet on Sunday nights and began to explore with a group of people what it would be to start a church. And it's every day been bigger than me and every day scared me half out of my wits. But I've seen God show up and do immeasurably more than I could ask or think. And just as one indicator of that, when we were sitting around and talking and planning, here was our big God-inspired dream. God, on our first Easter, would you please give us 200 people? Would you please, God, give us 200 people and we'll get ready. It was the fall of the year when we launched and we said, God, we'll get ready as best as we can to have it completely ready for 200 people by Easter. I, mean, I would hate, God, for you to send us guests and us not be ready. So we put together and we strategized a plan. There were about 80 adults in the room, about 100 all told. And we put together a plan for 200 people. And by the end of the first month, we had 330 people like we had no idea what to do with that. For the next four years, I played catch up. I don't know what God has in mind for you. And maybe you don't. But I want you to pray this prayer this week. God, what is the call on my life in this season? What is the call on my life in this season? And God, would you make yourself bigger than all of my excuses? Would you please... Make yourself bigger than all of my excuses. And I don't know that he's necessarily calling you to start a church. That'd be interesting if we all went and started churches. Wouldn't that be interesting? In one sense, that'd be amazing. But I bet he's calling you to something. And I'd like for you to pray about that this week. But right now, would you grab out your Connect card and let's take a step together as a congregation. I've been talking about it, but next step A for us is today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. The passage we read said that today is the day of salvation. And perhaps you didn't come in thinking you would do this today, but if you're feeling nudged, we believe that's the work of the Holy Spirit calling you to be God's child. We'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A that says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. And in that act of checking the box, you're agreeing with what the Bible says about you. 
that you're a sinner in need of a savior. You can't save yourself. No amount of good works will do it. Going to church doesn't do it. But trusting the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection and trusting in that alone, that's what secures you in a relationship with your heavenly father. And we'd ask you to take that card and put it in the offering bucket at the end of the service. Or how about next step B? Today I'm choosing to be baptized. In just a couple weeks, we have a baptism. Several folks are signed up. I mean, really, really stoked about this. But if you haven't gone public with your faith, would you please check that box and we'll talk with you about it and answer your questions and see if it's right for you. Next step C says, hey, I know God is calling me to live more holy. Would you please pray with me? God wants you to grow up and mature in your faith. He doesn't want the sins that hold us back to entangle us and trip us up all the time. So he calls us to this holy life. And if you're there, I don't need to know the details. I've been there. Just check it and let us pray with you about it. And if you want to tell us, use the back of your card and we'll keep that confidential among the folks that enter this stuff and the prayer team. But don't miss this call on your life. Next step D says, hey, I'd like to serve on a team at 4C, have somebody contact me. If you're feeling called to be a part of the body of Christ here and you don't have a place to serve, can we just talk about that? And if the answer is yes, you check the box. And then finally, next step E is that announcement we made on the front end, send me information about Financial Peace University. There's no reason for you to walk in bondage to money. We can help you with that. You just have to be bold enough to check the box and follow through. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. I want to thank you, Lord, that you called men like Amos and Gideon and Isaiah and Jeremiah and women like Ruth and, and Deborah, and you used them mightily, God. I pray, Father, that we in this room today would create a little bit of space and ask what you're calling us toward, that we'd respond to the call available to every single follower of Jesus call to salvation, the call to holiness and service, the call to make disciples. God, we'd be ready for that call that one day when we're going to be judged by you. But Father, beyond all that, I pray that we'd be bold enough this week to ask you, how are you calling us in this season of our lives? And God, would you also give us such a clear image of you that whatever excuse we've propped up begins to fade away as our image of you becomes more clear. We want to hear you, Lord. We don't want to just hear, we want to follow. Father, I lift up a prayer for those right now that are declaring that they're sinners before you. They have nothing to bring. So they rely on the work that Jesus has accomplished. And their attitude of their heart is, God, I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Would you wash me by your blood? Would you accept me as your son or as your daughter? And Lord, I pray all over this church this week, there would be incredibly bold prayers. And the fruit of those prayers would be that your kingdom work in this place and through this place would grow exponentially. I pray, God, that the seeds of what will be accomplished as a result of these prayers would grow and produce much fruit. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.